Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're talking about Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. So, did you like this episode? I thought it was a very good episode. I thought it was very well done. I feel odd saying I liked it because of the end, but there's not always a happy ending. I mean, we knew from the beginning that the Ascension was not going to be a good thing. Yeah. But then they turned everything on its head when the boy was not saved. So yes, I did like it. I understand that some people didn't like it because of the way it ended. I think it was very well done. I struggled with this episode and for more than one reason. And I will tell you, I was not happy with the not happy ending, but that's actually not why I think I struggled with it so much. You know, last week for the last episode that we talked about, you said you saw everything coming. Right. And I didn't last week, but this week I did. And so I think that one of the reasons I didn't like it was because it felt, for lack of a better phrase, very derivative. So this episode has three main stories, or one main story and then a couple of sub-stories that are all interwoven in. And the first main story is that the Enterprise rescues a shuttle that's requesting assistance, it's sending out a distress call, and it's being attacked by another ship. And then what happens after that is they beam the survivors on board and interact with them. The other two storylines are the, you know, sub-storylines. One is Cadet Uhura on her continuing rotation through the ship, which I really enjoy because it gives us this great opportunity to see all these different facets of what there is to learn on a ship. She is on her security rotation and learning from lawn right which is apparently a real challenge and then the other storyline is of course doctor and Benga's storyline with his ill daughter rukaya pia rukaya i'm not sure yeah she's got this this terminal disease they don't know how to cure it so he's keeping her in the pattern buffer of sick bay's transporter to help keep her alive in the hopes that they can find a cure for her so we've got the interweave of all these three storylines the main storyline is this: is the rescue of these people from the shuttlecraft. It's a woman and a man and a boy, and the woman knows Captain Pike, and there's clearly like flirtation going on between them from moment one to the point where he's actually stuttering and a little shy and embarrassed with her at the very start. Right, that was cute. And the woman, and I forget her name. Laura. She was a main cast member in the librarians with Rebecca Romaine. Oh, okay. They were so they played together before. To get, yeah, they were both main cast members for however many years the librarians ran. What is the librarians? It's based on the movie. It's kind of, again, like Warehouse 13. Noah Wiley was in it. And, uh, I think yeah, Bob, I remember those. I like those yeah. movies. And then there was a series that was based on those movies. I'll have to go find that. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. Okay, cool. So they're going to debrief her because they have to talk about what happened. And the little boy is injured, so they need to take him to sick bay. And Pike asks the man, are you the boy's father? And he says, only in the biological sense, which is a very weird thing to say. Right. <laughs> Until we learn that it's not a weird thing to say. 
Right. And so as the story goes on, we learn that this little boy is, oh, I just blanked on what they call him. The, oh, geez. It's yeah, go, see? It, it's going. Um, the servant. The, the first servant. Yes. That's it, yeah. So uh, he's the first servant, and he's a holy figure chosen by lottery. Right. But he's supposed to live by their cultural philosophy of science, service, and sacrifice. And as soon as she said the word sacrifice, I was like, crap, they're going to kill this kid. Right, right. I just knew it. <laughs> right. Anyway, take him to Big Bay and... His father, who's also a doctor, called Sick Bay an Avatar, which I had to explain to my spouse and offspring what that was, you know, a place where animals are slaughtered. <laughs> and so, you know, they're like, well, we're doing the best we can anyway. So it turns out these folks have, you know, really advanced medical knowledge, which, of course, you know, leads us right into the whole, you know, Dr. Mbenga's daughter thing. But this boy is also brilliant. I mean, he just has amazing brilliance and far-reaching imagination, and he is just an extraordinary person. And so it kind of leads you to believe that maybe that's why he's the first servant, because he's so smart, and he's going to be able to lead their culture, because he's just, like, this brilliant person. Right, but then they say lottery, so... So yeah. are they all brilliant? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so then there's this mystery of who attacked them, and they decide to go... They're going to go investigate the ship that they shot down accidentally. And Alora, she's from Majalis. These people are from a planet called Majalis. And so Alora, on behalf of Majalis, insists on going with them. And then she discovers a coin that belongs to one of the first servant's sacred guard. And then right. she knows this is like an internal job. Which to me is like, of course it is. Because you're going to kill this kid. Right. Sacrifice. <laughs> Anyway, so then they go down onto Majalis, which is this beautiful, idyllic city. Now, I may have been distracted, but I don't think we find out until almost the end that this city is floating. Well, we can kind of see it, but we don't know that it's floating. When the guard's running, you could see he's running on a path and you could see below. But I don't know that we know it's actually floating. Until, like, almost the end. Right. When I discovered it was floating, that's when I think I became really disappointed with this episode. Why? Because it was the Cloud Minders all over again. So for those who don't know the Cloud Minders, this is an original series episode. Great production values. I always loved Droxine's dress. I wanted that dress when I was a kid. Um, and it's a story about this city that floats, and it's a place of grace and beauty and art and, you know, just where people go to be philosophers and to be enlightened, etc. But it's kept afloat by a mineral that's being mined by people who are a sub, essentially a subset of the culture, and they are not allowed onto the city except as servants, and the mining causes them mental damage and makes them violent. It releases the gas. And so it's this story of how these people at the top with their beautiful life are doing so on the bones of the people who are dying for them to be able to do it. Right. You know, and this story was very similar to that in that kind of structure. And I was disappointed because so far, Strange New Worlds has done a wonderful job of taking these ideas from the original series, but turning them on their head. And you're absolutely right in that the end of this did turn it on its head in that it was unexpected for what we might have seen in the original series. Because in the original series, you know, Kirk and his usual, let me logic you through this by beating you up. He convinced them to see things differently and to start repairing this huge social divide in their culture in the cloud minders that's what kirk did that didn't happen here no so yeah anyway okay so let's go ahead and just push on through it turns out that there is this subgroup of the same people on majalis that are fighting against what they do to the first servant and what they do to the first servant is they strap him to some kind of computer where they use his brain to keep the city afloat and it kills the kid eventually yeah 
Eventually, yeah. yeah. <sighs> it was so frustrating to me to watch this because this kid was brilliant. And I bet if you'd asked him, can you come up with a new way to keep our city afloat? He probably could have figured it out instead of just strapping his brain into a d- machine and dying. Yeah, and I was, I kind of wasn't sure that he knew what he was getting himself into, but he did. He did. Yeah, yeah. And that was <clears throat> the only thing that I think that saved it, was the fact that this kid, after even seeing the outcome of what was going to happen to him, still walked up and sat down and got strapped in. Yeah. But that said, you know, there's a reason why we don't grant adult things to children in our culture. Right. Because children do not yet have the full capacity to understand their decision making. Right. Until they get that full, you know, the whole prefrontal cortex development thing. So, yeah, that troubled me. (laughs) As it did Captain Pike, who after having a lovely, you know, relationship scene with Alora, and it was clear they were totally connecting in every way possible, and she even offered him the possibility of moving to Majalis to be cured of whatever is going to happen to him in 10 years. Yes. He had a way out if he could ignore his conscience. Right. But he couldn't. And he was not happy with how this left. And she gave him this speech about how is every child in your federation not in poverty? And, and I hate this argument where, you know, when someone says, oh, well, you have problems in your culture. Well, yeah, okay, the problems in my culture don't excuse the problems in yours. Right. You know, that doesn't give you a, you know, a get out of jail free card to not do anything about yours. What's your point? Yeah, we have problems in our culture. Yeah, we're working on it. What are you doing? We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. We do have this really great, um, and again, we get to see Uhura really showing her versatility, and we get to show her how she's, see how she's a value to the crew, because she helps translate all this stuff to figure out that the people who attacked the shuttle were actually just another group of Majalans trying to stop the death of the first servant. That was a really good, fun thing. And we see that kind of relationship developing between Ohura and Lon, which was cool. So my question with that whole thing is, I know Ohura is going through training with Lon. How does the whole ship know what Lon's training is like? Didn't she just arrive? I think that's a good question. So I would guess I'm going to go ahead and just sort of fill in some canon in my head. This is what I did when, like, Pike was talking to a horror about, oh, wait for lesson two or wait for lesson seven or whatever. Right. I kind of assumed that maybe as part of his decision to select her as security, she had him go through her training or something. Maybe. Maybe everybody has to go through it. Well, that's what I was wondering, if everybody's been through it and we just haven't seen it. Because... Ortegas? She seemed to know what part of her speech was going to be about taking a break. Yes. Yes. So I was just a little confused about that. So we have to assume that there's something else going on. And they're telling us that. So we just don't know what the structure is. Yeah. But it was nice to see their relationship come together. So that was really good. Because I I suspect the way that this this series is being written and the way that these characters are being written, which I really love. I just love how we get to see them. And it's not just all about one main character. There's going to be some really cool interaction, I think, between all these folks as these relationships have been formed down the road here. And I'm really looking forward to it. 
So the other storyline we have there is, of course, the Doctor and Benga story. And the boy, the first servant, figures out about his daughter and pulls her out of the transport buffer and plays with her. And I thought for a minute he was going to say, here's the way to cure her. So did I. But he didn't. Yeah. And then we discover that his father, the doctor, is actually working to try to save him. He's aligned with these non-murdering first servant people. Right. And they make it look like, that they made it actually faked his death, the first servant's death. But instead, the father had him beamed into like a storage unit or something. Yeah. And then Spock found him because of some incredibly genius subspace transmitter that the boy invented. Right. Which, again, I, at that point, I was like, why can't you just ask him to come up with something that will save your city from falling? I mean, he's so brilliant. Yeah. You're wasting this brilliance, right. which could save lives. But we don't know if the whole population is that brilliant. It could just be that. Right. But if it is just him, all the more reason to not strap into the death machine and let him see if he can figure out a solution that doesn't involve killing children. Sure. No, I understand what you're saying, but they don't really tell us about these people enough to make that decision, whether they're all just that brilliant. They don't tell us enough because she even said when when she first met Pike, whenever they met 10 years ago when her shuttle crashed, she was out searching for another solution. That's what she was doing. She was looking for another solution. So they didn't tell us enough about these people, I don't think. Yeah, that no, and they kept, you know, shrouded in, oh, we're a private people. Oh, this is a sacred thing. Yeah. Right. So we don't know if they're all as intelligent as this kid or is this kid intelligent and it just so happened that he was picked in the lottery and he's this intelligent. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's hard It's hard to determine because they don't tell us yeah. enough. When she said it's complicated and sacrosanct, I mean, it was just sort of like more smoke. I found that very frustrating. You know, it was so clear that they were hiding something. It was so clear that it was, you know, about this kid, you know, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. They kept saying that. Right. I, I think I would have preferred to have the revelation be in the middle of the story and then have the rest of the story be, you know, more wrangling with, you know, this is their culture and what can we do and we can't do anything. I think that might have been, I don't know, I think I might have enjoyed that more instead of having the revelation be like right at the end just before this kid like sacrifices himself. Yeah. But at the very end, the kid's dad, the first servant's dad, decides to go join the anti-murdering first servant people right. to help them try to find a way to stop this and gives Dr. Mbenga a potential solution for his daughter's illness. It's not a cure, but something that they could he could start working on it to see if he could turn it into a cure. And that's pretty much it. It was not a complicated episode. No, not at all. Anything I missed? On that same subject about how we don't know enough about these people, how do they know if they don't hook this kid up to this machine that their civilization will fall into the lava pits? None of that was explained. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of things that were missing. And I think that... You know, if, like I said, if we'd had the revelation in the middle and then had some more explanation, I, I think that would have been helpful. In the original series, they've come upon civilizations whose whole way of life was based on a myth. Yeah. Any kind of myth about their planet that the crew debunks the myth. Yeah, and, and you're right, because this one also reminded me a little bit of um, the episode uh, for The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. I don't know names of episodes. That's the one where they encounter, like, a, an asteroid that's actually a spaceship. and all these people living on it that are like the last living descendants of a famous ancient culture they have no idea that they're on a you know a spaceship they think it's just a planet right because that's the way it was 
was constructed. So that sort of myth piece there, yes, that's kind of the way it felt to me too. It also reminded me a little bit of the original series episode, A Taste of Armageddon. That's the one where there's these two planets, they're battling each other, but they don't actually use real weapons. They just have computers that yes. like calculate the... I absolutely thought of that too, yes. Yeah, the, the people who are dead and then they go and like report to disintegration chambers and yes, die. they sacrifice them. adults making those decisions, but I guess I suppose there were children there where they take it to the disintegration chambers too. Yeah. But that's what I mean. We don't know enough about these people. We don't know if they just believe hooking this kid up is holding their planet up or if they know it for a fact somehow. Yeah. If they're just following this myth that they followed for years. I mean, if they're all as intelligent as this kid is, which we still don't know, it's possible they know for a fact. Or how long do they have before? You know, we know nothing about these people. They didn't tell us enough about these people. It left me with a lot of questions. How do they know? How do they know for sure? Yeah. Or do they know for sure? I don't know. I don't either. Are they all that intelligent? Or is it just luck of the draw that this kid that they picked was intelligent? Which apparently he doesn't have to be intelligent because he's only being hooked up to a machine. So his intelligence doesn't matter, I don't think. Again, like you said, if it's a lottery, then the intelligence is not a component. Right. Right. It's almost as if it's like the lifespan of this person is the important part. So hooking up to a child means that there's going to be a long period of time. Yeah, except that when we saw the last body, it was a child. And how long do they last? They didn't tell us enough about these people. Yeah. That's my only complaint. Yeah. So so on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this episode? I'm going to give it an 8, 7. You're generous. (laughs) I liked it. I I feel bad saying I liked it because obviously because of the end, but I did like it. I thought they did um, a good job. You know, my spouse actually really liked it too. And and again, I was disappointed with the end, but I mostly was disappointed with how derivative it felt from the Cloudminders and a taste of Armageddon. And up to this point, we have not really seen that. We've seen original series ideas and concepts used in creative new ways, and I really appreciated that. Um, and you know what? It's okay. It's not. A, big deal because you know there are some good themes in these episodes that's what made them great stories so right it, it was just a shame that i was kind of like oh that's what this is like oh that's what this is like <laughs> <laughs> so anyway all right anything else we want to talk about about liftus where suffering cannot reach no nope, i think we're good okay then we invite our listeners to join us for strange new world season one episode seven the serene squall We'll talk about that next time. All right, take care. Bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.